Good afternoon and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover here on KPFA. I'm your host, Safiwa Nairobi, and today we bring you an encore presentation of Stage Bridge Stories, originally broadcast on the Radio Chronicles. We'll be exploring what James Brown, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, the Rolling Stones, and a stay-at-home mom in Berkeley have in common. They all contribute to a special mix on the Vietnam War era. Stagebridge senior storytellers bring us their memories in musical colors. So stay tuned. Elaine Stanley, and I've been a professional storyteller for about 11 years. I joined Stagebridge a couple of years ago because I found it a good way to give back to the community by telling stories in schools and at senior centers, places like that. I was asked to tell a Vietnam story, my Vietnam story, and at first I didn't think I had a story. So I did a little research and Well, my story is kind of like not seeing the forest for the trees. It starts, my story starts with a little background. I found out that the Vietnam War actually started in 1945, the year I was born. At that time, Vietnam was known as French Indochina, and it was dominated and run by the French. In 1940, the Japanese had invaded northern Vietnam and were fighting with the French and Vietnamese. And a man named Ho Chi Minh, who was born in Vietnam, now lived at the border of China and Vietnam. And he was gaining national support. He was also gathering weapons and ammunition and wanting to take back his country from foreign domination. So in 1945, around the end of World War II, when the United States bombed Nagasaki and Hiroshima, he saw this as his opportunity to make his move. At this time, the United States was not actively involved in the fighting. We had bases in southern Vietnam, and we were showing a support for the South Vietnamese to not be part of this communist movement in the northern part of Vietnam. I was born an Air Force brat. I was born into a family where my father was an officer in the United States Air Force. In fact, he flew bombers in World War II. When I was in the second grade, we lived in Mildenhall, England, just out of London. And up behind our house, we had bomb shelters. We had tall wooden towers that they would mount anti-aircraft guns on. We had deep 
pits lined with sandbags. Those were used for housing guns and ammunition. Now, of course, none of the guns or ammunition were out there. They were just the relics left behind. And that was our playground. We played in those bomb shelters, those pits, and on those towers. And we played everything from house to hide-and-seek. In the 50s, when we moved back to the United States, I remember the duck-and-cover drills. They would sound an alarm, and you were to duck under your desk, cover your head with your arms, and that was going to protect you from the bombs. In Texas, they would sound a siren, and you moved quickly, quickly to an inside hall, put your back against the wall, tucked your head between your knees, and put your arms over your neck, and that was going to protect you from the bombs. I love these duck and cover games because I didn't like school very much, and it got me away from schoolwork. I thought it was great. <laughs> but I realize now, looking back, how very lucky we were that we never had active modern warfare on our soil. At this time in the country, there was a big McCarthy era. There was anti-communist thoughts going all around the country. And things were heating up over in Vietnam. We were sending a lot more support of ammunition and show of force. Um, not actively involved yet, not fighting, just keeping a very close eye on things. And politically, things were really getting hot. In 1961, my father was stationed at Tachikawa, Japan, in Tokyo. So our family moved. And I finished my last three years of American government high school. My high school was very much like any high school in the United States. I think the American government high schools patterned their curriculum pretty much like any other high school. We had math, science, history, English, a yearbook, a football team. It was like most high schools. And... I don't remember ever studying anything about Vietnam. Oh, I remember American history and the Civil War. I remember learning about Shakespeare and poetry. But we never talked about Vietnam or what was going on or what was happening. It was never talked about in school or in my home or anywhere around me that I knew of. And... It was an interesting time to be living in Japan as a teenager for I was old enough to travel and meet people and learn some about the customs. I was also uh, there for the 64 Olympics. That was fun. It happened right just where I lived. I got to see many of the events. And in the summertime, they provided jobs for the teenagers to keep them out of trouble and allow them to earn a little spending money. You could either work in the dental or x-ray department at the dispensary, the theater, the pool, the child care center, or a few office jobs that they provided. And I remember one summer, I worked in the x-ray department of the dispensary. Sergeant Pazelli was the x-ray technologist, and he was a big man. And he would show me all the aspects of his work. He showed me the big machine with all the dials and numbers and ooh, it looked kind of scary he showed me the dark room and said that's where it happens that's where the magic happens and then he'd put up films and he'd say look look 
That's what TB looks like in the lungs. And look at this. That's a bullet in the gut. Ooh, I thought that was neat. You could see into things, see through things. You could see things most people never saw. It was kind of like magic. Well, it must have made an impression on me because in 1965, when my father was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California, the family moved to Lancaster. And I left home, moved up to Oakland, California, to attend x-ray school. I was one of five students accepted out of 65 applicants in that school that year. And we had a lot to study. Our school consisted, it was an OJT school. It consisted of working five days a week in the department. Occasionally, when things slowed down, we could go to class and study. But mostly, we were learning on the job, learning by doing. And that was my best way of learning. There was so much to learn, all the anatomy of the body, all the the physiology of how x-rays are produced and how they pass through the body and make an image on film, the chemistry to develop the film, everything. You had so much to learn. And I was living only blocks from Berkeley, but... I never saw the demonstrations that were taking place there. There were anti-war demonstrations, peace demonstrations, peace marches. The National Guard was coming in to keep the peace. But I never saw that. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating, but you tell me. Understand what I'm trying to say Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today If the button is pushed There's no running away There'll be no one to save With the world in a grave Take a look around you, boy It's bound to scare you, boy And you tell me
red china Then take a look around To Selma, Alabama You may leave here For four days in space But when you return It's the same old place The pounding of the drums The frightened disgrace You can bury your dead But don't leave a trace Hate your next door neighbor But don't forget to take grace And tell me was so busy focusing, learning how to see into things and through things and see things that most people never see. Why, we used to joke and laugh all the time about how we did some of our best work in the dark. X-ray techs, yeah, because <laughs> that's where the magic happens. That's where the film develops and you now see everything. And I look at that and I look back and I think... How ironic that all that was going on around me and I never saw it because I was so busy looking in, focusing, trying to look through and see things that most people never see that I just never saw the forest because I was looking at the trees. I work with StageBridge. I've been with StageBridge about 10 years, going into schools, telling stories to children and to adults. Berkeley, Vietnam, worlds apart, worlds connected. The year was 1960. I fell in love and got married. John F. Kennedy was in the White House. JFK and our family, Jackie was redecorating the White House. There were children and ponies and short pants, and the world was Camelot. Everything seemed bright and beautiful. Vietnam seemed very far away. 1963, I was pregnant. Both my sisters-in-law were pregnant. Jackie Kennedy was pregnant. Two of her sisters-in-law were pregnant. It was a beautiful time. Then in August, I went into labor a whole month early, and Stephen was born, a tiny little tot. 
They put him in an isolate, a plastic isolate, behind the big glass nursery window. I could see him, but I couldn't touch him. I couldn't hold him in my arms. I could just look at him for a whole week. That was the week in August that Jackie Kennedy went into labor early and gave birth to Patrick, who struggled and died. By the time I could take Stephen in my arms and take him home, Camelot had begun to crumble some. You struggle with a new baby because you're nervous, and a small one, it's difficult. But by November, we'd begun to bond. I'd fallen in love with my little boy. I sat down in a November noon to feed him, sat down in the rocker and turned on the television. John F. Kennedy had been assassinated, and Camelot came to an end. The world really crumbled this time. Vietnam seemed a very long ways away, but it was in the news, and here was violence at home, and the world was falling apart. But the world went on, and Stephen grew, and pretty soon there was a little sister, and we joined a co-op nursery school. The children found little tarantulas. They found ladybugs. They had guinea pigs to play with and sandcastles to build. And it was a wonderful time, a time protected from the war in Vietnam. Telegraph Avenue was a special place for me. I had lived on Telegraph. I'd lived near Telegraph. And Telegraph had become a very well-known place. When our relatives came from the Midwest, they wanted to see Telegraph Avenue. The flower children had made a big hit on Telegraph Avenue, and there had been a lot of protests and demonstrations. They stuck all the kids in the back of the station wagon, a great big old station wagon, my three- and five-year-old, and theirs who were much older, up to 11. And we drove down Telegraph Avenue, and the 11-year-old pointing here and there and saying, Look at the hippies! Look at the hippies! And my children saying, Where? Where? They saw their preschool teachers. They saw the people down the street. It didn't look any different to them. As a young mother, I tried to stay away from the demonstrations, on the edges of the demonstrations, because I never knew what was going to happen. Sometimes things got out of hand. Driving the children to the doctor's office across town, down Grove, past the old city hall, there was the National Guard marching down the middle of the street. Look, Mommy, look, Mommy, they're soldiers! I didn't want my children to see soldiers marching down the middle of the street in Berkeley. The National Guard responded to the things that were happening on Telegraph Avenue. They used tear gas. The tear gas wafted across the campus and up into Strawberry Canyon where the children were taking swimming lessons. And the tear gas burned their eyes and it choked their throats. And the children cried and coughed. A terrible thing for little children. How could we keep them safe? 
keep them away from all that was happening. We wanted a world for them that was Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo, not a world that was full of tear gas. In the nursery school, Stephen was four and a half. He was almost ready for kindergarten. It was the spring of 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, followed shortly by Robert Kennedy. And the children played in the yard in the sun, building their sandcastles, and the mothers sat inside, watching with the tears streaming down their faces. It was not a time to raise innocent children. When Stephen was in kindergarten, five and a half, I was tucking him in bed one night. I read him the stories of Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin, and he had his Pooh Bear tucked in right next to him. And he looked up at me and he said, Mommy, in Vietnam, how do we know God thinks we're right and they're wrong? We couldn't raise innocent children in that time and place. Parsons. I've been telling stories with Stagebridge for several years now. I first got started in storytelling uh, as a substitute teacher in the Oakland Public Schools. The children seemed to like ghost stories, so I learned a lot of ghost stories to tell them. In the late 60s, I was a, a medic with the Berkeley Free Clinic. They uh, trained us to take medical histories to give a physical examination, CPR, and a little first aid. There's to be a demonstration up on Telegraph Avenue the following uh, Saturday, and the Berkey Liberation Front had been organized to conduct the event. They had called us up to uh, see if we could have some medics up there in the avenue during the demonstration. I went early Saturday morning to a little house just off of Telegraph Avenue along with some others. And as we were talking about uh, what we were going to do up on the avenue, there was a telephone ring. A guy answered it, and after the call, he came and told us that was a representative of the Berkeley Police Department. And he said that there would be officers on the roof with rifles and if anything happened, then we would be responsible. <laughs> we kind of looked at each other and sort of chuckled. And I suppose the police uh, won't overreact either, we said. Around noon, we uh, put on our armbands with the Red Cross on it, went up to the avenue. On Hay Street, near on Telegraph, there was a big platform that was being built. And... That's where the speeches were going to be given. As I mingled with the crowd and listened to the speakers, I 
heard the usual things, uh, how terrible Vietnam was, uh, how, how our boys are dying and being hurt. We should get the heck out of Vietnam. Well, the speeches went their course, and then a band started getting ready to set up. I looked around the crowd, and they seemed to be calm enough. I had no idea what I was doing there, and I was getting kind of self-conscious with my Red Cross band on my sleeve. So I was getting kind of restless, so I walked up the avenue and uh, came to a corner, and I spotted a guy, I think his name was Mike, and he, I, I know he was involved with the free speech movement, and he was talking very loudly to a couple of bystanders. Just then, a guy turned on the fire hydrant. Well, <laughs> I looked at it, I said, it's innocent enough, it was a hot day, and but and then under the circumstances, I don't think it would have been a good idea. So I went up to the fire hydrant, and I took the wrench, the one that was used to turn it on, and I turned it off. This guy, Mike, came up to me, and he said, uh, what are you doing? He said, gee, let the people enjoy themselves. Enjoy themselves, I said. Look up on the roofs there. There are policemen with rifles up there. And he said, ah, they're just trying to scare us. They probably have wooden bolts. So we started down the avenue, and uh, we continued arguing. And we got back to where the platform was at, and another guy turned on a fire hydrant. I said, oh, God, not again. And just as I was trying to think of what to do, someone shouted, Here they come! It was pointing up Haste Street, which ran along the side of People's Park. And sure enough, there was a group of um, National Guards. They were in formation with riot gear on and rifles pointed straight ahead, and they came down telegraph. Well, the people started getting kind of antsy. And uh, just as they got to Telegraph Avenue... They stopped, and there was an eerie silence, and it seemed to go on forever. It seemed that nobody knew what to do. Suddenly, there was the sound of a can hitting the pavement, and smoke suddenly bloomed up, and as someone yelled, they're throwing tear gas. So people got real wild, and they started, some guys threw the canisters back, others threw, others threw bottles and anything they could, could get their hands on. Well, my eyes started watering, and uh, I started wiping, trying to breathe again as I rushed back to the little shack where we were uh, meeting. And the others came down, and we sat there, and the, they had the radio on, and uh, the announcer was telling about a guy that uh, was on the roof at Dwight and Telegraph who uh, was shot. And... Uh, he was taken to the hospital, and he later died. His name was James Rector. Well, I I reflect about this whole demonstration in the coming weeks, and uh, I I decided that people on the left or on the right or in charge often didn't have correct information or knowing what they were doing. The incident of James Rector, no one ever found out who shot him. It could have been someone on the street. It also could have been someone on the roof. Everywhere I hear the sound of 
listening to stories about life during the Vietnam War era, originally broadcast on KPFA's Radio Chronicles. Many thanks to producers of the Radio Chronicles and to the Stage Bridge Storytellers. If you have any questions or comments about what you hear on Cover to Cover, call our listener comment line at 510-848-6767, extension 622 or extension 623. Or you can email the Director of the Arts and Culture, Amelia Gonzalez, at amelia at kpfa.org. With Bonnie Bone at the controls, I've been your host, Safi Wanairovi. Thanks for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for Free Speech Radio News coming up next. Did you know you could hear news in Spanish on KPFA? Flashpoints in Español is a weekly segment devoted to seeking the truth through investigative reporting, interviews, news, analysis, and information that portrays the culture, history, social conditions, and political struggles of Latinos in the United States and throughout Latin America. Flashpoints in Español es un segmento semanal dedicado a buscar la verdad a través de la divulgación de entrevistas, noticias, análisis, e información investigativa que retrata la cultura, la historia, las condiciones sociales y las luchas políticas de los latinos en los Estados Unidos 